0: Good to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. I know that the roads were a bit challenging. Um, And just because you came, I think there's a special blessing. 25% more because you're here. I find it interesting that those that are the farthest away are here and some of the closer ones aren't, but we're glad you're here, okay. And uh, it's good to have you. I just want to make mention that uh, Monica's newest book is out. It's the story of her life. It's called Silent Strength. Monica, just stand up and do a sort of a pirouette so everyone knows. Congratulations on this. That's an amazing accomplishment. You can buy it from her or get it on Amazon is not that sound cool that we've got Amazon authors in our church? It's just really cool. Listen, we are uh, finishing up our series on Love Never Gives Up this morning. And uh, so because you have your Bibles, I want you to take and turn with me to John chapter 13. Love never gives up. Love never quits. It keeps going to the end. We've uh, spent this month looking at love, the love of God for us and the love we have for Him. And this morning, our text calls for us to love all people everywhere with a love that's sacrificial, a love that's focused on others and their needs and is selfless, a love that never gives up. The text is both an illustration and a teaching, and it's given to the followers of Jesus at the most inopportune moment in the ministry and times of Jesus. It's the night before Jesus is betrayed. The disciples have gathered together to observe the Passover meal, and and, and Jesus wants to deal with a, a stubborn mindset that he finds inside of his followers and wants to dig at a difficult character flaw that's found, honestly, in all of us. The most natural thing in the world to do is to look after ourselves, to shut others out so that we can focus on what's in front of us, eliminate anyone and everyone who might become a distraction to what we think is our best interests. Jesus says when he encounters that in his disciples and when he encounters it in me, when he encounters in you, we need to talk. Time and place are important. John chapter 13, verse 1. Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil was already, had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, To betray Jesus. The words that say Jesus knew in that verse are vital. He knew who he was. He was the Son of God. And he was dispatched to take away the sins of the world. He knew the cost of such a mission and and what what it would look like. He knew his foe and understood that hatred for who he was and and what he was about to do would drive his enemy to take on extreme measures to, to attempt to derail that mission. Jesus knew that his hour had come, that the end of his earthly ministry was at hand. All the pressure, all the weight was now on him at this very moment. Add to that information the understanding that the devil had already come and had whispered, had prompted Judas to go out and to betray Jesus. Add to that that Jesus knew that this was only the first one who would leave him, who would walk away from the plans that he had and and walk right into his enemy's camp. And that he knew that the rest would abandon Him in His hour of greatest need. Jesus knew. Knew that they would not be faithful. But, but it says that Jesus had loved His disciples. He, he had cared for them. He was invested in them. He had poured all that He was, all that He had into them. And throughout His earthly ministry, and despite what He knew, He would love them to the very end. To the very end. He knew all that was coming. But he would love them to the very end. He would not, he could not give up on them. Love them completely. Love them without reservation or condition. He loved them. He addresses two of our biggest issues in those first two visits. The first is the most difficult. When, when we meet need, when we're requested to do something, to, to find an answer that, that, that's going to cost us something, the very first thing that we pull out of our pocket is, you know, I, I don't know, I, I really am too busy right now. Life is hectic for me. I'm so behind. The pressure is intense in this season. I just can't make it happen right now. You will have to find someone else. If anyone could have used that excuse, it would have been Jesus. He knew. He'd not only finished the most hectic, action-filled, and packed week of his life, but now he's going to all that was going to be required of him on the cross. But he didn't say, you'll have to find someone else. I want you to hear me. I'm not advocating that we sell our bed and we forget about our vacation time and plan on being a one-person rescue mission for the world 24-7. I'm not saying that. There needs to be boundaries in our life. There needs to be rest. There needs to be a part where we're apart from all the pressures and all the interactions that go on, just like Jesus had. However, much of our time can be filled with things that really have no significance, things that, without even thinking of them, they just fill up our day, fill up our time, spend our energies, distractions that keep us from mission, keep us away from people who are in need, keep us so tied up that we don't have time to serve. Jesus knew that his hour had come, but his life mission was in front of him. Matthew 20 says that for even though the Son of Man, for even the Son of Man, one of the titles for Jesus, came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life a ransom. He understood this whole thing about serving. And the second reason we have up our sleeve is that, that people we face who who have need, have somehow disqualified themselves from from being eligible for our love, for our service. I'm sure it's only me in this room that has people every once in a while who creep into your life that you just think, why are you here? What do I have to do with you? I know we're related, but still, you know? There are people that are mean-spirited, people who have hurt our feelings, don't live right, don't believe truth like I do, don't see things the way I see them, don't understand the truth about who God is and what He requires. The list is long, and it, and it makes it so easy to push people and their need off of our front step. Jesus knew, the verse says. Jesus, Jesus knew that Judas had already been prompted by evil and that the rest would succumb to fear. He, he knew all of that, and yet he stayed in the room on the Passover night despite what he knew. As I said, the lessons of this passage are both explained and exemplified by the one who is speaking The one who said to you, said to me, come, follow me, do as I do. Jesus knew. Verse 3, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and he would return to God. Again, that, that phrase, Jesus knew, knew who he was. He was the Son of God. He knew that the Father had given Him authority over everything. He knew where He had come from and where He was going. Jesus knew who He was, knew the power and the authority that He had, knew whose He was and was fully aware of His final destination. He knew. He understood. He had nothing to prove. He, He didn't worry about His reputation or or how his life would be seen or understood by others. That that, that wasn't a part of of his concern. He was committed to one principle and one principle alone, total obedience to the will of God. That was his concern. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 2, and he says, though Jesus was God, he did not think of equality with God as, as something he had to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and and was born as a human being. He appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Debbie and I have a friend who is a psychologist. And once a year... We go together as a couple and a couple of times, three or four times a year, he and I meet for lunch. He said to me, Bill, I, I appreciate that you go out with me. And I said, well, what's that all about? He said, most people are afraid that if they're seen with me, they're thought to have some kind of problem. I said, well, Randy, everybody knows I have problems. You know, like that's not a, it's not a big problem. We're so concerned about what people think. And, and, and to, for me, who's innocent, to die the death of a, of a criminal on the cross, uh, what will people think? But that wasn't... Jesus knew who he was. He understood it. We, we often lose ourselves to the love of our mission because of what we do not know. We lose because we do not know the Father's love and commitment to us, because we've not been close enough for long enough to allow Him to fill us with the confidence of of how much He knows and how much He cares about where we are and what we need and who we are. We often do not know, do not understand the authority that we have because of our mission being linked to Jesus. These are his words to those first disciples and to us this morning. All authority in heaven and on earth are given to me and now I give, them to give it to you. Go into the world. We often do not realize the position that we have in God. Dear friends, we are already God's children. It says in 1 John chapter 3. And all of the rights and privileges and responsibility that come from that lineage that is ours. We we often don't revel, we often don't relax in the promise that the victorious end, the conclusion of the story has already been determined by God. God will triumph. He will return. There's nothing that can change that. There's nothing that can erase or nullify the truth. He is waiting on the other side and triumph and victory are in his hand and we will be beside him. Those, Those questions have been settled. There's nothing more to be proved. We don't have to make sure that the the news cameras are in place or that people understand what or why we do what we do. Our mandate is to do the will of the Father. Our, Our highest and only worthwhile evaluation is His when He states that we have done the mission well, that we have been faithful to the call He's placed on our lives, that we served where we were sent, Jesus knew, and we can know, we can know. Because of what he knew, because of, of, of the love he had for his own, the, the events that are mentioned next are so very important. Knowing that he had all the authority that is found in heaven and on earth, knowing that he, he, his time is coming to an end, knowing that he had been sent by God and was soon to be returning to God, we, we move ahead in the story. The, the scripture says that Jesus got up from the table, "...and took off his outer cloak, his robe, and he wrapped around himself a towel. He poured water into a basin, and then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that he had attached to him." Context is pretty important here. Because of the weather... Because of the the conditions, closed shoes were not a big item. Everybody was wearing sandals. The roads weren't paved. The sidewalks hadn't been poured in cement. The, the travel by foot was a dusty trip, and so when you, when you arrived at a home for a celebration, when you arrived at a home at the invitation of a host, it was understood that when you arrived, there would be a servant, usually the one on the, the lowest on the totem pole, or the youngest available and able child would meet you at the door, would have a, a face cloth for you to freshen up, and, and would get down on the floor and would wash your feet clean. The feast was not hosted by a family. There was no Mary or Martha around. It it had been pulled together by, by Jesus, and there was no hired help. And so it was Jesus and his entourage, and no one had been designated to look after the practical and the important hospitality gesture of washing the feet. It was the one who had all authority given to him. It was the most important one of the group who got down on his hands and knees, took on the form of a servant, and washed the feet. There are some church traditions that still hold such ceremonies. Carry out foot washing ceremonies. Some of you have even come from such traditions. It's an illustration. It's a reminder of servanthood and so will often be used in meetings and in conferences. I've I've walked into a few of those places. I've seen as I've come through the door, oh no, they've got a a basin and they've got a pitcher of water and they've got towels. And I've thought, oh no, no. And 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 it starts running through what socks do I have on? Do they have both toes and heels? Are these the shoes that make my feet funky? Like, well, "Yeah, why am I here this Sunday?" It's uncomfortable. We don't like people touching our feet. We don't we don't like people taking our shoes off. We peeling our socks off, to publicly wash our feet. So this tends to be a passage that we read quickly as possible and get on to the real meat of the message that applies to us that was a bit of the concern with the group that was gathered around the Passover table as well. They, they, they were uncomfortable with their leader, with, with the one that they believed would rule the nation in the very near future, getting down on his hands and knees and washing their feet. Not just because of who he was, but they were uncomfortable because recently there had been some rather unpleasant and embarrassing discussions about who would be the most important in the group. Who, who would get the finance portfolio? Who would be the minister of external affairs? The, the, the questions had been bold. They'd been up front. They, they'd come to Jesus and, and, and as boldly as you please, they had said, tell us this, who's going to be the greatest ones? Who's your favorite? Who have you picked for the power pot, spots? It was a burning question, and, and one they needed to ha- have answered as soon as possible so that the important souls, those, those ones who had been chosen by him to fill the power positions, could begin to train and, and, and could begin to prepare for the weight of the important roles that they had been designated. And, and it was a sincere question, even though it was a misguided question it was evident that they had not been listening and certainly had not been understanding what jesus had been saying all along and so there's this there's this back and forth there's this this who's going to be the most important and Jesus waits till it gets quiet and he, he goes and he reaches out to a small child and he brings the child to stand close to himself and he holds that child close and says, Lear, learn this well. Uh, unless you dramatically change your way of thinking and you become teachable and learn about heaven's kingdom realm with, wi- with the wide-eyed wonder of a child, you will never be able to enter into that kingdom. Whoever continually humbles himself to become like this gentle child is is the greatest one in heaven's kingdom realm. They didn't know what to do with that. They didn't know how to handle that. And so at supper, Peter is the one who struggles the most with this foot washing being done by Jesus and and says, listen, I know who you are and I will not allow you. I refuse to allow you to wash my feet. That's not going to happen. This is a test, and I'm not going to fail. You will never wash my feet, not now, not ever. You're the next leader of Israel. You have more important things to do. And Jesus just again lets him run out of gas and then looks at him and says, Peter. If I'm not allowed to wash your feet, then you don't belong to me. There's a principle that you're missing that's central to the kingdom and how it operates. And if you miss that principle, you are not a part of the plan, not a part of the mission. And Peter panics. He, he, he thought he was answering the question right, but he realizes he's not. And so he says, well, if that's the case, then not just my hands, but God, give me, Jesus, give me a bath. Things get really uncomfortable then. Uh, Jesus says that, that wasn't the need at the time. Peter, you, you're clean. You, 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 you've, you've been looked after. It's just your feet. It's your feet that need attention. And I want you to be aware of what's going on here. So we get to verse 12, and after, the washing, after washing their feet, Jesus gets up, he takes off the towel, he puts away the basin and the, and, and, and the water, and he says, uh, do you understand what I'm doing? Everything that Jesus said, everything that he did had meaning, had had purpose, had been planned. In the garden, Jesus would pray, I have glorified you on the earth by faithfully doing everything you've told me to do. This was part of what God had told him to do. I've said it a couple of times and I say it yet again. Jesus was teaching a lesson here by both example and by His word. The the, the lesson had been demonstrated, and Jesus says, Do you understand what's just happened in front of your eyes? Do do you get the importance? Do you understand the value I put on serving? Do, Do you understand the culture that is to mark the people who carry my name? Do you understand the the what and the why of all that's taken place here this evening? The, The fact of the matter is, is that they didn't understand. He had spoken several times about, about the heart and the mindset that was required for a person who had the authority of heaven to operate as a servant. But that was, that was a foreign concept. They'd never thought that way. They'd never seen anything that way. It wasn't what they were thinking that a king did. It wasn't what they expected. And so they were still lost. They were, they were still unclear. They did not really get what he was saying. Verse 13, Jesus says... So you you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and you're right because that's who I am, that's what I do. And, and and since I am your Lord and teacher and have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. You're hung up on titles, he says. You're 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 seeking positions, you're looking at levels of authority. You're, you, you sometimes call me teacher or rabbi and you're not wrong in that designation. That's who I am. That's what I do. You, you call me Lord or, or mean master or expert. And, and again, you're not wrong in what you're saying. That's who I am. But the titles don't keep me from my mission. My mission is to serve. Wherever I come up against need, I'm there to serve. When I I encounter need, my titles are invisible and unrelated to the task. I have taken on the identity of a servant. You, You arrived with dust on your feet and there was a need, and the titles, the expectations didn't keep me from meeting that need. Despite what you call me, I washed your feet. But, perhaps, but please, he says, don't, don't stop listening now. Don't just take that piece of information in. Understand this. I, I want you to do what I have done. I, I want you to serve Need. If you come to a moment like this, I want you to wash each other's feet. But the emphasis isn't on the feet, it's on the need. Make sure that need is met. There's a maxim that's been around for a very long time, and it says, It's surprising how much can get done if we we all pitch in together and don't worry about who gets the credit. And Jesus says, check your title at the door, check your, your, your ego at the door, check your need at the door, and look for ways to serve. Look for people, be sensitized to who has need. Verse 15, I've given you an example to follow. I want you to do as I have done. I I, I tell you the truth. Slaves are not greater than their masters, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. He says here's the template. If you're going to wear my name, I, I don't want you to be something different than what I am, I want you to be a servant. He, he, he's, this is the way the kingdom works. This is the way the work is to be accomplished. Remember that I have done what I've done and use that as an example. Do what I have done. Go to into every situation with a love for people that God has given to you. Don't let the love become cold. Do not let your love lack passion. Do not let your love flag and, and, and almost die so that you're willing to give up and walk away. Love passionately. And with that mindset, look for need and serve that need to the best of your ability. No matter how unimportant it seems to be, no matter how insignificant it might be, serve the need. Never get to the place where you feel like you have outgrown the place of a servant because if you have, you've missed the message. The the rule of the kingdom is that we do what the master does. We value the things that the master values. We act, we conduct ourselves in the way that he has exemplified. The the understanding is that no matter what brilliant new revelation we have about new methods or new understandings of our place in God, we are never to abandon the understanding that we are to be loving servants. If, if we should abandon that understanding, then we have abandoned. We have walked away from our leader. We have abandoned our king. I, I, again, I, I remind myself frequently that the, that the way that our lives are measured are by some very clearly marked expectation that Jesus spells out. He says, listen, there will be a day that you'll arrive and you'll stand before God and he will determine... The quality of your work there are about four of them. The work first of all must be done well, done the way that God called us to do it. The second is is that the message the mission requires that we be, be good we we be. People of character, people who operate integrity and and in kindness and with gentleness, that we reflect the moral character and personality of our king. The third is, is that we would be faithful, we would be dependable, reliable to call to the call that's on our life, to the mission that we're given. Not just when it's convenient, not just when it suits, not when we're with people who deserve our time or attention, but, but fixed to and not swerving comp- to complete obedience to the will of God with the understanding that He has led us to the people who are standing in front of us. And finally, that we move forward with a, a specific mindset. We're not dictators. We're not obnoxious bullies that will accomplish our task at the expense and on the backs of whoever might be around. We move forward as servants, servants of God and servants to those to whom he sends us. It's the way he has assembled and built the kingdom. It's the way that we know we have accomplish what we've been asked to do when we arrive in heaven and we hear, well done, good, faithful servant. Jesus goes on in what he says to the disciples that night. You've, you've now heard with understanding, he says, what I have said because of what I have done. You're now responsible for that information. It can't just be intellectual knowledge that you file away for another time. It has to be cultural practice. It has to be a part of your day-to-day life. It has to be the mindset that you have when you walk into a room, when you walk into need. There is a promise that's attached to the teaching. Now that you know this principle, if you carry it out, Jesus says, then the blessing of God is on your life because of your obedience to it from time to time the wind blows in different people blows them into this house People who come from someplace else, I don't know them, I have no connection to them or to anyone that's at their point of origin. They're, they're complete strangers to me, but their introduction tips me off that we are probably not going to bond together terribly well. From, from, from time to time they arrive and their name is, is complex, but not as complex as their title. My name is Reverend Apostle, Prophet, Teacher, King Sent to you by God to bless and to enrich your house with the gifts that God has given to me to, to build this house into an outstanding house unmatched by any in the land. I'm available to preach two out of every four or five Sundays when I'm not out in the country preaching to other houses. What Sunday would you like me to first perform my ministry on your platform? My answer is always the same. We don't really have any Sundays available in the near future, but we could use your help to stack the chairs, and then we're going to vacuum the floor, and then we're going to unstack and put the chairs back together. Could you help us? And, And there's this look... I don't think you heard me. I'm Reverend, doctor, apostle, king, pastor, teacher, so-and-so. That's not my gift set. I'm here to raise the dead. But I've learned this. If you don't have the heart of a servant, then you don't represent the king very well. And, and, and if you don't represent the king very well, then you're not going to have any place at the platform. Usually they huff out the door and they never return because we've not recognized the special calling on their life. But I haven't seen the spirit of Jesus. I haven't seen the attitude, the posture of a servant when we lose that approach to people, when, when servanthood falls off of us, it affects the way that we think and that we interact with people. And we tend to get grumpy. We, we tend to get a bit edgy. We tend to be frustrated and, and maybe even a little angry. Because you see, the, the blessing of God is lifted because we don't approach our mission servanthood. Does that make sense to you? It's not just one verse in this particular passage or this gospel that that calls us to humble service. It's it's throughout the New Testament, and and, and I've picked out a couple, not not very many, but just a couple. Um, Here's from Matthew chapter 5. Jesus is speaking, you are to be light. Bringing out the God colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're we're going public with this as as public as a city on a hill. If if I make you light bearers, don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. Now that I've put you on a hilltop, let your light shine. Let, Let your good works be seen. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up to God because you have opened up to them. This generous Father in heaven. Be generous with everyone. Keep open house. Don't wait for the right conditions to present themselves so that you're comfortable to be all that God has made you to be. Go in, open up to others, give yourself away in service and in generosity, and your actions will prompt people to open up to God. Just just stop and think. Think about people in your life who made a difference. You might have been going in the wrong way, but somebody came and they opened up their life. They were generous to you. For me, it was a teacher in grade three. I had had a horrible experience in grade two. The teacher was a first-year teacher and in about October decided, well, maybe this isn't what I want to do. And so she just quit teaching. And finally, she quit on the last day of January and they brought in a teacher and the teacher said, listen, your kids, your children are in February now doing October's work. We're gotta, we've got a lot of catching up to do and it was a nightmare of a year. And I got to grade three and there was Mrs. Soder. And she was patient, and she was kind, and she took all the time that I needed. She repeated it as often as I needed it to be repeated. She opened up her life, gave whatever she had, and rescued this little skinny grade three. When there's kindness, when there's servanthood, there's something that is unlocked in people that can't be explained. I, I, I love the gifts that God gives us. I love the power that He promises, but, and, and, and we don't want to diminish that, and we don't want to walk away from it. We don't want to opt out of it. But don't miss this. If you serve people, if you serve with love, if you are a person who operates in kind and timely deeds, it has the power, it has the ability to open people up to God. Jesus said that. Really, and finally, words of Jesus, again from Matthew chapter 5, just a little later in the, in, the, in the chapter. Your ancestors have taught you, love your neighbors and hate the one who hates you. However I say to you, David, will you come please? And However I say to you, love your enemy, bless the one who curses you, do something wonderful for the one who hates you, and respond to the very ones who persecute you by, by praying for them. For that will reveal your identity as as children of your heavenly Father. He is kind to all by bringing the sunrise to warm and rainfall to refresh. Whether a person does what is good or does what is evil. The, The distinguishing mark of a follower of Jesus Christ is not their ability to speak or their giftedness or their charisma. It is that their lives are marked by this incredible love that serves love that is so incredible that when it runs into a furnace of of hot hatred and an enemy that does nothing good for you, that, that curses you and assaults you with all the power, all the tools that's at their disposal, our response is not to retaliate. Our response is not to run for cover. Our response is to love unconditionally without giving up and to bless them in ways that meet their needs when they persecute you, pray for them. That's how you reveal your identity as the children who not only belong to the Father but are of the same substance, the same character as He is. Jesus knew that the environment that He was sending us into was hostile towards us, His people. Jesus knew that that we weren't walking into an easy assignment. He knew that there were, there were difficulties all the way around and that there were people who were against what we stood for and what we believe. This last week I read the International Society of Human Rights. It's a secular and independent organization that states that although Christians make up about 25% of the world's population, 80% of all religious freedoms that are violated in the world are directed at Christians. There's something so real, something so tangible, something so penetrating that everything that hell can throw at Christians. Last Sunday, we prayed for Sri Lanka, three three. Churches, Christian churches, bombed, many killed, many wounded. The society says that 105,000 people worldwide who are Christians are martyred every year. Every year. that there are 100 million Christians who live in nations where discrimination, interrogation, arrest, imprisonment, rape, torture, and or death are a reality for believers. That every five minutes a Christian is put to death. 228 every day one every five minutes in the time that we've been meeting here twelve believers have been put to death Jesus knew all of that remember that's the first phrase that we looked at he knew he knew when he called you he knew when he gave you the assignment that he wasn't sending you to Disneyland. He knew that he was sending you into a difficult circumstance and yet he didn't say listen, learn how to do some martial arts and how to work a revolver or any of that. He said learn how to love. Learn how to serve. I believe with all of my heart that God is doing such an incredible work in our house. I believe with all my heart that there's some things that are shifting and changing. But I know this, if we don't learn this, we will lose out. Jesus said, your mission has to be driven like my mission was, by love and by service. Please stand with me this morning? I, I made mention of this earlier in the, in the message, and I... And I said it in a light way, but I, I know that there are people who are sitting in this room and saying, why on earth of all the weeks of the year did you preach that today? In the last day or two or the last week or two, you've had an encounter with somebody that you, you've just been trying to think, what would be the best and most Christian way to do away with that dear soul? Save sick and dead. Come on, Jesus. You know, just, we're, we're all there. I'd, I'd outlined where we were going probably back in January. And to tell you the truth, there have been a couple of times that I wish I could have changed this message. Because it's not always where I'm at. It's not always what I'm feeling we go back to the cross. And we say, God, we're nothing if we're not like you. Baptize me with your love. Give me new eyes to see what you see. There's not a person that you can bring before God and say, God, how do you really feel about this? Do you feel the same way I do? And and, and God says, no, I love them. I I love them like I love you. Oh, well, you don't mean this one or that one there love the world well then Jesus baptize me with that love heal my wounded heart extract the the bitterness the the unforgiveness the the jealousy the, the hard feelings baptize me with your love so this morning, I just want you to stand where you are, and I and I want you just to call on God to do that. And, and understand this, that when you call on him, he will do it. He might not do it the way that you're expecting it to be done. Most likely, he'll bring you to the feet of the person who's the greatest challenge to grace in your life. But God, baptize me with love. Make me more like you. Make me sensitive to need. Make me aware of hurts that others are going through. Make me willing to put the towel around my waist and to make time to get down and to wash feet, to, to meet need. As a church, make us a servant church. We want the authority, we want this power, we want the gifts, but God, we want the love and we want the service as well because we understand that that, that unlocks doors that are so locked up, so, so locked up. It's about 13 years ago, church that uh, Debbie and I were having a oh it's maybe even longer than that maybe 17 years ago we'd hit several rough patches I was physically sick we were having difficulty with focus and Relationships and, and, and it had been painful. And God had set up for us a, a week of ministry where we would just sit back and we would receive and, and God would open up our hearts. The first night we were there, I sat back and just observed. I, I wasn't going to get too close, too involved because I already was, was shielding a, a wounded heart. Second, the, the word got right to me and just pulled me forward. I knew I couldn't deal with it on my own and I needed help. And so I arrived at the front of the, of, of the meeting place and there was somebody there to pray with me. And he, he just said to me, listen, before we get started on, your, on the things you need God to do, we, we just have to have a conversation. And so he moved me to the middle of the room to where there was a man who had disappointed me. I felt he'd made promises. I felt that he had failed on those promises, and I had just sort of withdrawn. And so the man that was praying with me said to the man that was standing there, Bill has something to say to you. And I looked at the man who was praying with me, and I just like, I don't have anything to say, and why did you do that to me? And then I looked at the man that I was disappointed with, and and God, some how touched and broke my heart and for the next hour I just cried and snotted and, and, and said I'm so sorry I'm so sorry for, for what I've done and what I've said and how I have felt and how you've been treated I'm so sorry there was a reconciliation there and there was all of this poison pulled out of my life then the man forgave me and he walked away and the man who was praying with me said now your healing begins i believe that there's healing to be done this week if you do that if you work that through with god he'll do something amazing in your heart i i believe that's a word for us today